Netcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twit. Bandwidth for Security Now is provided by AOL Radio at AOL.com slash podcasting. It's time for Security Now with Steve Gibson, episode 174 for December 11th, 2008, Virtual Security. Security Now is brought to you by Astaro, makers of the Astaro Security Gateway, on the web at www.astaro.com. And by Go to My PC. Wherever you go, access your PC and all of your files, programs, and email remotely with GoToMyPC. For a free trial of this award-winning service, visit GoToMyPC.com slash security now. And by Audible.com. For your free audiobook and a whole lot more, visit AudiblePodcasts.com slash security now. It's time for Security Now, episode 174, in a continuing series, in a continuing effort to keep you safe online and off. Steve Gibson is here. He's the security guru from GRC.com. Hi, Steve. Hey, Leo. Great to be back with you. I have to say, when you say continuing series, I get so much email from people who sort of append to the end, oh, and I hope you and Leo never stop doing this. You know, please, <laughs> please, please. I look for this in my favorite podcast, um, blah, blah, or netcast. I, you know, I just, I look forward to it every week. Please, please, please don't ever stop. And, and that's germane, in fact, today, because we were actually recording this a week ago. Um, we're having to get a couple episodes ahead in order so that we can provide content, Security Now content, to our listeners every single week throughout the holidays while you and your family are off in Paris. We're recording this a week ago. Sounds like we've done some sort of science fiction thing. <laughs> well, you know, I do watch, I, I watch Sarah Connor Chronicles, of course, so it may, we may very well have recorded this a week ago. But we believe that we are actually recording this now for use in the future. You have a different point of view, ladies and gentlemen. You believe we've recorded this in the past for your listen, listening enjoyment in the present. Man, okay. this is a science fiction novel. Yeah. What are we going to talk about today, Steve? Well, our main topic um, isn't going to be extensive. Um, I've got th- three interesting uh, contemporary security stories that occurred this week, which was actually a week ago last week in the future. Um, so we'll, we'll discuss those. Okay. But I wanted to talk about, I, I feel like I may have two weeks ago on our Sandboxy episode sort of maybe oversold what Sandboxy can do. We got a lot of email from people saying, oh, great, you know, this is the only thing I need. I don't need to worry about uh, antivirus. In fact, I think I even said that at some point. Like, oh, yeah, this is, you know, you don't need to worry about AV stuff because Sandboxy creates complete containment. And the same is true of virtual machines that also create containment. So I wanted to spend a little bit of time to walk myself back from that a little bit or as Rachel Mathau says, talk me down. Um, so, you know, to to get a little bit more reality-based about the limitations of any kind of sandboxing thing and what bad stuff that gets into your computer can still do. Well, and that's one thing I really like about you is that you have always been hard-headed. And um, and you, you, you as an engineer, I think this is it's kind of an occupational hazard. You try to be very specific about what's so and uh and and very and very honest as opposed to somebody like me who might get excited and jump up and down and say oh we could do anything anything wash the car so good we'll get the we'll get the reality based facts here on uh sandboxy and virtualization in general right in uh, just a little bit before we do i do want to mention our friends at audible.com you got to mention them they're the folks who make this all happen they make it all possible audible.com is the premier place to get now it's the only one, as far as I'm concerned, to get audio entertainment, audio books for your iPod, your iPhone, your Zune, your Kindle, um, your Sansa, whatever MP3 player you have, iRiver, Creative Labs, Kawan. It goes on and on. In fact, there's a whole device manager list that just, uh, I mean, it's hundreds of devices. You can even burn CDs uh, so you can listen to them anywhere. Audible.com slash, I'm sorry, audiblepodcast.com slash security now is where I want you to go. Take a look around, see what's out there. 51,000 titles. We know you're not going to be able to see all of them, 
But I want you to feel like this is this is like uh, your own personal bookstore online. But here's the beauty of it. When you pick a book that you want to learn or you want to read, uh, you download it. And they download really in just about 30. depends on your speed, your bandwidth speed. But books, audio books aren't that big. They download very quickly. And then you have this great experience of, of listening to the book. It's an experience it, that's it's 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 incredible. Now, I've got one that I really want to share with you, and I think you even, Steve, might want to listen to this one. Um, Audible, uh, as you know, there's a movie coming out, Frost Nixon, uh, which is the behind-the-scenes story of the very famous David Frost, Richard Nixon interviews that were just fascinating. Many, many interviews over a period of weeks in which he really tried to pin Richard Nixon down on what actually happened in the White House. Sir David Frost uh, wrote a book about it, Frost-Nixon, behind the scenes of the Nixon interviews. This was the basis for the movie, and narrates it. So you can hear David Frost himself talk about Frost-Nixon. Younger listeners, and a reminder to older listeners, it might be helpful at this stage just to summarize the salient facts before we... Get underway. Isn't it fun to hear his voice again? I used to watch him all the time. I really enjoyed David Frost, and I remember very well these Frost-Nixon interviews. Hear the story of how it happened from the true behind the scenes. If you're going to go see the movie, you might want to you might want to listen to the book beforehand, or if you've already seen the movie and you want to know more, this is it. This is my pick for the week, but there are many, many choices at audiblepodcast.com slash security down. Here's the beauty of it. When you sign up for a gold account, you get a credit towards a book absolutely free. Even if you don't stick around, you get to keep the book. I think you'll enjoy it. Audiblepodcast.com slash security. Now, if you've never listened to an audio book, this would be a great start. Sir David Frost narrating his own behind-the-scenes story of the Frost-Nixon interviews. Audiblepodcast.com slash security now. And we thank him so much for their support of security now. All right, Steve Arino. Let's uh, get the latest security news. Anything going on in the world out there? Well, yeah, there were three really interesting security-related stories that I wanted to to sort of extensively share with our listeners um, because they all they all bring home some of the topics that we've talked about. Mm-hmm. Um, so I want I, I'm going to share each one, and then you and I'll talk about uh, what what's essentially going on, what the story you know involves. Uh, this was the Boston Globe reported this. Um, and the headline would catch one's attention because it says Sandwich loses nearly $50,000 to hacker. What? Well, Sandwich is a town in Massachusetts. So it, ah. was, it, it was Sandwich, Massachusetts, which loses nearly $50,000 to a hacker. And so the Boston Globe reported, they said, the same, the same type of data security breach that has menaced retail stores, restaurants, and other businesses has made its way into the Sandwich Treasurer's Office, where a hacker with possible international ties stole tens of thousands of dollars from town coffers in a complex computer fraud scheme. Sandwich officials have warned their counterparts in surrounding towns of the computer breach. Police believe the hacker used a virus to attack Treasurer Craig Mayen's computer and implant a key logger that monitored any keystrokes he entered. So this is the treasurer of the town of Sandwich had a keylogger installed somehow on his machine. With technology similar to what is known as a sniffer, a device that tracks computer information, the hacker was able to record Mayan's security code and password as he typed them and use that information to make withdrawals from town bank accounts. The money was then transferred to four accounts, three in Florida and one in Georgia. Police Chief Michael J. Miller said yesterday that Mayen discovered the breach two weeks ago and notified police detectives. Investigators were able to determine that the scheme netted close to $50,000. Miller said yesterday that detectives will ask the state attorney general's office and the FBI for help in what he called a complex case. He said, quote, that's the problem with tracking all this stuff. We don't have that ability, the chief said. At this point, it's outside our realm of expertise. Police have been working with the town's banks and a white-collar crime-fighting collaboration um, and a white 
white-collar crime-fighting collaboration of law enforcement and bank security officials. Miller said police in Florida were able to question a man who opened one of the four accounts there as he was trying to make a withdrawal from the account. However, police do not believe the man is criminally involved in the scheme. Hmm. The chief said the man in Florida, who was not identified, told authorities he answered an advertisement offering to pay him to open an account. Oh, boy. The hacker would then move funds from Sandwich into the account, and the Florida man would then wire those funds through Western Union to St. Petersburg, Russia. Wow. Miller would not say how much money was stolen from town coffers, but said it was a less than but approximately $50,000. He said the culprits have been systematic in the account transfers in that each has been in amounts of less than $10,000, the threshold that banks use to notify FBI right. officials right. of significant monetary transfers. Mayen noticed the problem when he was conducting a bank transaction for the town and noticed a series of unauthorized withdrawals, you know, from from under his own uh, right. his, his right. own credentials, which had been stolen from him. He said beginning on October 4th under his security code, Gail, um, wow, uh, Marson Chewitz, a spokeswoman for the FBI, would not say yesterday whether her agency would assist the investigation. My guess is that they will. The FBI has jurisdiction to participate in such investigations, but any number of factors could determine whether the agents actually get involved. A spokeswoman for Attorney General Martha Coakley's office would not comment yesterday. The elaborate scheme is part of a larger underground computer fraud economy that has netted hundreds of billions of dollars through identity theft, credit card fraud, and other breaches, said Dean Turner, a director of Global Intelligence Network for Symantec. Miller downplayed reports that police are investigating whether the hacker has ties to Russian organized crime because of where the money was being sent. But Turner said that computer fraud is a booming industry in Russia and Eastern Europe, with organized crime rings offering all types of information and hacking equipment on the black market. Quote, this is only a small slice of what's going on in the economy, he said. The data breach that occurred is similar to the type of scheme that attacked retailers, such as TJX and BJ's Wholesale Club, um, in one of the largest computer fraud cases in the country, Turner said. In this case, a hacker was able to implant a malicious code in the treasurer's computer. That could have been done in several ways, by email or through a website that was carrying the virus. From there, the, the hacker could have begun reading the keyboard strokes. Turner said hackers sell toolkits that can accomplish such fraud on the underground market. This is what is really is, a, he says, th- what this really is, is a data breach, an ability to compromise information. In this case, it's banking information. Very interesting story. And so, I'm sure just one of many, some of which we'll never hear about. Right. Well, and, and, and probably based on how well organized this is, this is the, the sort of thing that we've talked about a number of times um, where it was probably a targeted attack. Spear phishing. Exactly. Spear phishing. So, so in, instead of just, you know, spewing um, email around, it's, it seems very likely that this, the, the treasurer's office, if not the treasurer um, himself, was was deliberately targeted, sent some email, hoping he would click on it using, you know, some known uh, or maybe even unknown vulnerability. I mean, we, at this point, certainly publicly, they're not saying how this got into his system. It may well be. And it, sound, it sounds like, you know, the that the the local police are are um, not at this point, not equipped technically to go in and forensically figure out exactly what happened. You know, certainly. Um, the um, the town treasurer has realized, you know, the the kind of damage that can happen when you know his computer gets infected by something. Right, right. Very a very interesting story, and I you know I, I guess uh, you would think if you were running this computer systems for their, a town, <laughs> you'd have something like an Astaro security gateway, maybe, uh, or some sort of security filtering the mail. Yeah, I mean, it, again, we don't know 
what the vector was that brought this thing into his machine. Seems likely uh, to be male, though, right? Uh, that would be my guess. Given that it was targeted, you know, it, it's, you know, you, you certainly you could probably get from the the website of the town the email address for the, for the treasurer right. or you you could call up and pretend to be you know do a little bit of social engineering pretend to be somebody else um and so you know and ask what the treasurer's email address is oh you know i bumped into him and i and he told me but i i didn't didn't write it down i thought i would remember it, but i forgot it. you know what is it and so then you know you start sending him things hoping that he's going to act on it and literally target him to install this thing and then of course you're all set up once you get control um, to, you know, with the back end money transfer system in order to to get this stuff transferred through an intermediary so that it's not a direct connection. Right, right. And then, you know, we know that, unfortunately, Western Union is how a lot of these funds get transferred out of the country. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I you know, figures this is probably an operation that uh, they're they go through the websites of many, many municipalities, figuring especially small towns have less security. Right. And uh, once you've got the guy in Florida with the account set up, you can go through. You can have a number of checks go through. It doesn't yeah. have to be from Sandwich. Very interesting. Well, I have another interesting story. Um, this is the, this is the actual. I'm looking at the PDF from the United States Department of Justice, the DOJ, the from the U.S. Attorney in the District of New Jersey, who put out a, a report that I thought again. Uh, touches on things we've talked about many times. Uh, this is from Newark, New Jersey. Uh, law enforcement personnel in three states arrested four men this morning, this is the uh, late November, who were charged with engaging in an international conspiracy to deplete millions of dollars from U.S. victims' home equity lines of credit using personal information obtained through identity theft and unauthorized computer access. U.S. Attorney Christopher Jay Christie announced today's arrests bring to eight the number of individuals charged to date in New Jersey with participation in this single scheme in which the defendants conspired to deplete available funds from home equity lines of credit um, called Helox, H-E-L-O-C, just home equity lines of credit, right, right, right. belonging to identity theft victims, either by engineering fraudulent wire transfers or by gaining unauthorized access to the victim's online bank accounts. The four men arrested earlier today are blah, blah, blah. They're scattered around the country, Los Angeles, Brooklyn, New York, uh, Springfield, Illinois, um, who are expected to make initial appearances in federal courts in those towns. The defendants are part of a multinational identity theft ring that operates in the United States, United Kingdom, Canada, China, Japan, Vietnam, and South Korea, hmm. among other places. The defendants and their co-conspirators have acquired identity information from of thousands of victims and use that information to conduct numerous fraudulent schemes, including depleting their victims' home equity lines of credit accounts. The complaints charge that co-conspirators have withdrawn more than $2.5 million dollars from home equity lines of credit accounts belonging to innocent customers of banks and credit unions and have attempted to draw at least approximately $4 million more in ultimately unsuccessful transfers from those accounts. The complaints charge that the defendants and their co-conspirators initiated the HELOC fraud by gaining access to confidential customer and account information used by customers of banks, credit unions, and credit card issuers to conduct finance transactions in the United States. This information included account holder names, addresses, dates of birth, account numbers, social security numbers, and account balances. Other fraud information frequently obtained by the co-conspirators during the course of the fraud included mother's maiden names, security question answers, and online usernames, passwords, and other data used by banks and lending institutions to service and secure customer accounts. According to the complaints, the defendants and their co-conspirators compromised confidential customer account information relating to several large and small banks, credit unions, and credit issuers throughout the United States. The larger the institutional victims, the, the larger institutional victims identified in the complaint include Citibank, J.P. Morgan Chase, Wachovia, Washington Mutual, Bank of America, among others. 
Dozens of smaller banks and credit unions have also been victimized, including the Navy Federal Credit Union, Pentagon Federal Credit Union, U.S. Senate Federal Credit Union, and State Department Federal Credit Union, and at least approximately 11 New Jersey-based financial institutions. So, you know, here we have, you know, I mean, like the, like the raw information, all the facts associated with, you know, a major ring located throughout the whole United States. And, and bottom line, Leo, is this is about people getting, um, using publicly available information um, to impersonate enough about a person in order to convince their lending institution that it's them. And, oh, by the way, I want to withdraw money from my home equity line of credit and send it off in this direction. Right, right. You know, the, you know we, we've talked, we've never really gone into detail about identity theft because it's, it's a large and sort of amorphous topic. Mm-hmm. But one of the things that I, that I would, that I take away from this is, and we, we sort of touched on this before, is do not use real you know, like your real information when someone says, you know, gives you a form and says, what's your mother's maiden name? You know, too easy to find out. Yes, exactly. Come up with some other information. What's the name of your first pet? You know, I mean, the internet, you know, it's often said that no information that ever goes on in the internet ever leaves. And so, um, you know, and and for example, one, I, I, I was noting, noting with interest, um, the, the vetting process, that people um, entering this next administration are going through and the questionnaire they're having to answer, you know, they're, they're having to say, you know, have you ever written an email whose contents would embarrass you if it were made public? (laughs) Well, okay. (laughs) Yeah. Who among us have not? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You know, like, okay, yesterday. uh, And in fact, maybe this morning. Uh, it's going to be a very empty White House, I think. Mm. I don't know how they're going to have anybody mm. in there. Well, they're asking I mean, for everything. It's amazing. Yeah, they want everything. They want yeah, a complete... Yeah, they really do. Yeah. And and so, you know, it's said that anything that goes on the net never is, you know, it never leaves the net. And so, similarly, you could imagine the context in which you might have innocently answered a question about, you know, yeah. your first pet. And now we yeah. have Google that that's able to allow it's you, you know, in anyone to do deep research mm-hmm. into people. Um, I've also seen um, I'm, someone gave me like a, a trial account for some of these online information finding services. I was actually uh, was curious. I had lost touch with an ex-girlfriend. I mean, I mean well, I, I should say a high school sweetheart. Yeah, way, way, way. And I was able to find her to the home she had recently sold. And I called the owner of the home saying, hey, you know, I, I of course, and I'm very conscious of identity theft and security and things. And I, and I didn't expect this person. I didn't even ask her, you know, what had happened to Terry? You know, could she tell me, you know, you know, who she sold the home to, but I explained that I was someone who knew her years ago and, you know, I was hoping she was still there. And that, that's how I learned that she had sold the house. So, wow. but, wow. but I mean, you know, you can literally, you know, there is so much information available on the net that you know, I hope our listeners that, that are, you know, that are certainly people who care about this and, you know, people who don't listen, but, but um, who are friends of the people who listen can get clued into this notion of, of absolutely not using valid information, except when you absolutely have no choice. I mean, you, you know, you can't lie about your social security number when you need to right. give it to the right. bank, you or know, the government, but you can certainly give Disney's turnstile your knuckle. That. That's my favorite. When it asks for your fingerprint. Still my favorite letter we've ever gotten. <laughs> All right, Steve, let's take a break. And we're going to talk about uh, virtual machines. Oh, and, and if you have a spin right letter, I'd love to hear that, too. I certainly do. All right, we'll get to that in a second. But first, I want to mention our friends at uh, Citrix. They do the great Go to My PC, which is a really wonderful, useful program, especially right about now, the holidays. Uh, I'm, you know, I'm a small businessman and, um, and you, you kind of hate leaving the office, uh, f- even for a moment because of, you know, something might happen. Wouldn't it be nice to be able to stay in touch with the office, to be able to log into your desktop computer at your office anytime, anywhere you are on vacation, uh, at home, at the in-laws, 
uh, on the road in an Internet cafe or a hotel or an airport to do it securely and, and really be able to actually access the computer just as if you were there. That's the promise of go to my PC. They, these guys at Citrix really know remote access. Uh, World class award as the best remote access software just this year from PC World. Uh, but they've won awards every year because they're the best. Here's what you do. You go to right now. You go to go to my slash security. Now you'll sign up free 30 days, unlimited use. Use it all you want. This is a good time for the holidays. Uh, once you install it on your system, then you just log on to go to my anywhere. You can use a browser. And suddenly, there's your office desktop full screen right there on the screen. You could send and receive email, run any program, access any network resource. You can even drag and drop files from one computer to the other. It's so fast you can watch video, listen to audio. It's really remarkable. I want you to try it right now, free for 30 days. Go to mypc.com slash security now. We love Go to My PC. I've been uh, doing uh, doing uh, ads for them for four or five years now. And they just get better and better and better. Go to mypc.com slash security now. We thank them so much for their support of the Security Now show. Mr. G. Mr. Hey, G, Leo. You got any spin right email from uh, yeah. us? Um, I'm, I've, I've agreed not to share Craig's last name because he said if uh, he's a Security Now listener. He said, if you share this, please keep my name confidential. Um, so, but his subject was Spinrite saved the computer outage day. Hmm. And he says, hello, Gibson Research Corp. Please forward to Steve Gibson if possible. This is the first user testimonial I've ever sent for any software in my lifetime. I'm sure Steve is always very busy, but he does say that he loves to hear from users of Spinrite. Spinrite saved my power outage day. So he says, dear Steve, firstly, I would like to say thank you for all your hard work in both making the internet a more secure place and exp- uh, internet a more secure place to explore and getting the word out to the word world about security issues that are very important to us computer users i've been following your site since 1999 when using windows 98 before i was behind a router and learned of shields up to help me close my open ports and make my computer much more secure in many ways a lot of the computer knowledge i have has come from reading your extensive information on your website. I've also been following Leo Laporte since the screensavers and was happy to see the both of you collaborate on making security now. I've enjoyed listening to every episode since its inception. Wow. I still look forward to listening to it every week. So great listener. Thank he you. says, I have finally bought Spinrite, exclamation point. <laughs> I suppose, like most of your customers, we will all need to purchase Spinrite at some point due to a hard drive failure. Well... My, t- my time came to pass last month. I was working away at, at work using my computer. There was a thunderstorm active that day, and the power went out for one or two seconds. When my PC was rebooting after the outage, I noticed it went into a repeating boot cycle. Every time during the boot sequence after the BIOS screen, but before the Windows welcome, it would emit a clock beep and reboot. Hmm. I thought I was a goner for sure. I called the support line for the PC, and they said the best they could do was to replace the drive. Well, even though I do back up, I only do so about once a month. Uh-uh. And of course, in the last couple days, although this happened in the last couple days of the month. So I thought, well, time to give Spinrite, try, time to try Spinrite. I purchased and downloaded it and put it on a floppy. I powered off the PC popped in the floppy, and started it up. Thankfully, the BIOS was able to load Spinrite. I was worried that depending on where the error was, it may not even load the floppy. I can't even remember which level I selected now, but I ran Spinrite, and after only maybe 30 to 40 minutes, it was finished. It had found one damaged sector and stated that it had done its best to repair its data. So I thought, cool, time to reboot and see what happens. Well, I was amazed to see it boot up like nothing had happened. Needless to say, I immediately backed up my data. I just wanted to let you know that you have another happy customer and a much more savvy computer user thanks to your hard work. I will, without hesitation, recommend Spinrite to everyone who will listen. Thanks again. <laughs> That's great. So That's thank very you great. very much, Craig. Always nice to hear those stories. Yep. So last, uh, actually two weeks ago now, we had... Um, uh, the creator of 
sandboxy on. Yes. And we talked a lot about how this sandboxing application could be used for security to protect you. When applications run in sandboxy, they, uh, the, if, if you get a bad guy, some malware, whatever, it doesn't have access to the full machine. It's sandboxed. It's enclosed. Right. Uh, we also talked about virtual machines and how they can kind of do the same thing. A lot of people I know, in fact, I do this myself, will instead of using Windows bare, bareback, if you will, will run a virtual machine with VMware or some other program and, uh, and run that way. And that way, if we get infected, we just throw out the virtual machine and start over. But there are limits right. to what this can do. Well, there are, and I exactly. And I feel like I, I, as I was thinking about this, I thought, you know, I, I didn't want to give anyone the impression that sandboxy or running things in a virtual machine was absolute protection against anything that malware can do, because there is so much that malware can do. Right. For example. If you if you did, you know, we just we we heard earlier this example where a password logging program got installed on the treasurer's computer at Sandwich in Sandwich, Massachusetts. And uh, and, and that caused the loss of uh, up nearly fifty thousand dollars worth of funds transferred from from accounts that he had access to using his credentials. Well, that's a perfect example of something that Sandboxy would not have protected him from now. Um, I'll say that with some caveat, because, for example, Sandboxy would have not protected him until the Sandbox was cleaned, because had he been using um, email, well, well, okay, Um, say that he installed himself, that this thing did use email as a vector of entry, as, as as we hypothesize. Well, if he had a separate Sandbox for it to contain his email client from his browser client, and if he were logging in to, we don't, we also don't know how he was logging in, but, but if he did have his email system sandboxed, then, and if it was clicking on a link that installed something that is the way this keystroking logger got in, well, the keystroking logger would have been installed in the emails sandbox. So it would not have been able to log keystrokes in activities outside of the sandbox. If he, if he, so, so there he would have had isolation. So sandboxy would have, would have solved the problem. If, however, he had installed, if the keystroke logger had been installed in the web browser sandbox and he used the web browser to log in, then until he cleaned the sandbox, that keystroke logger would have been installed. Um, I've got my sandboxy sandbox set up so that it, it flushes the sandbox when no programs are running in it. So it just deletes the contents ah. every time to prevent things from accumulating. And I ended up, after I talked um, two weeks ago, I, I talked about how I do, at that, at that time I was using separate sandboxes for Eudora and for Firefox. I ended up amalgamating them into a single sandbox because so often I am clicking links um, in email, I subscribe to a bunch of, of, of newsletters where, where they're, you know, they're, they're trusted newsletters, like, like security newsletters, and, and they've got links to stories that are, that are on the web. In fact, that's how I, I brought up those stories that I read um, earlier. So, you know, it, it is, it's easier to have, um, to have the email client and the browser sharing a sandbox because Otherwise, the email client um, is wanting to run another copy of the browser, another instance of the browser in its own sandbox because things cannot get out of the sandbox. So I decided, okay, look, let's just put email and, and, the, and my web browser together in the same sandbox. So, so in that scenario, if the, because they are sharing a sandbox, if email were used as the vector to install the keystroke logger in this this treasurer's office in Sandwich, Massachusetts. Then he logged into the facility using the web browser. Since they share the sandbox, they would share the keystroke logger, which would be a bad thing. On the other hand, if he were using some other sort of software outside the sandbox, then the keystroke logger would have been localized to the sandbox. Still not good, but it wouldn't have created this compromise. So there's an example where where something something is being protected by the sandbox, but only within the constraints. So notice that my, my, my point is that 
the sandbox created limits and you'd have the same sort of limits in any kind of a virtual machine environment where it would be installed on the virtual machine and not on your your real machine. So activity outside of there would be protected, but not activity inside of there. And so, for example, if you were using all web browsing in that virtual machine where you now had a keystroke logger, you'd still be in trouble. So I wanted to I wanted to sort of further clarify the sorts of things that, that malware could still do. And so this notion of, of a password uh, stealer is a problem. Also, things in the, in the sandbox or in a virtual machine, they've got access to the network. It's because your, their, their network-enabled um, applications that they're dangerous because bad stuff comes in from the outside. Well, that means they're able to initiate connections. A browser initiates connections out to the Internet, Email client initiates connections out to the Internet. Well, that means that programs running in the sandbox are Internet permitted, which means that that if malware got in there, notice that unless you deliberately block areas of your system using Sandboxy, Sandboxy does permit you to, for example, blank out your whole My Documents tree, which is probably a good thing you know, to do because your email client probably, you know, typically doesn't need access to that. It needs access to its own, you know, email repository by poking a little pinhole through the, through the sandbox so that that can, can be persistent while you um, flush the sandbox. You're not flushing all the email that you've received and replied. You want that to exist outside the sandbox and, and persist longer than the life of the sandbox. But, um, if you if you black out areas of your system, then nothing in the sandbox is able to access, you know, the whole, for example, the whole My Documents tree, where you may be having the, you know, the, the the bulk of of the content that you're creating yourself on the system. So, so, um, it's certainly possible if you had an internet-enabled piece of malware for it to read things in your system and send them out. You could have, you know, a spam bot that you have unfortunately installed doing everything it needs to, which is is not what you want in the sandbox. Because if you if it came in through email, it has access to your email. We know that many spam bots rifle through all of the email repository of the machine that they have access to and send out email pretending to be you sending out something malicious to your friends. So that's a, a perfect, a, another perfect example of the kind of thing that no sandboxing environment can protect you from. That, because everything it needs to do, it has within the sandbox. So it's, it's, it's very clear that, that this kind of sandboxing, while very useful, is not ultimate protection. Right. And, I, and I did make a, a, a statement that I need to also pedal back from two weeks ago when I talked about the idea of testing, using a sandbox to test malicious software and drawing conclusions from the behavior of software in the sandbox and extrapolating that to outside the sandbox. The problem with really relying on that is that, as, as we know in the case of, of the, the, the blue pill work, it is difficult, but maybe not impossible, for software to detect that it has been sandboxed. And, you know, sufficiently clever malware, again, this is theoretical, but, you know, as we know from security, everything starts as a theory and ends up, you know, actually happening. Um, malware could deliberately behave itself if it knows it's running in a virtual machine or in a sandbox, believing that maybe it's being tested. It's being watched. To, to <laughs> That's see. really interesting. Yeah. <laughs> How can it to, detect it? Um, it, um, it, it could. Um, Does it have to use like blue pill kind of stuff? Or? Um, yeah. Um, um, there, um, I don't know off the top of my head how. You could detect it. I mean, a good VM, uh, a virtual machine uh, or sandbox would hide the fact that you are inside a sandbox, right? It should look absolutely normal. Yes. Um, f one thing off the top of my head, most VMs, for example, that are set up just to be uh, used for containment testing, they're not very mature environments. They are a recently stall installed operating system. 
that doesn't have the signs of having been used you know, for for years, there's not a whole bunch of documents in the my documents tree. There aren't lots. There's not a whole like collection of of programs installed in 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 the system. So, for example, if if software were to enumerate the uninstall list from the control panel, like here's the list of all the things that are available to be uninstalled. If there were you know not a bunch of them. It could be skeptical. Again, it would have to use some some heuristics, some rules of thumb to judge that. But it, it could say, you know, this seems like a computer which has not been used a while. I'm going to behave myself until I wake up in this machine when, you know, it actually looks like it's been much more used. So, the, you know, that kind of thing. Right, right, right. And again, once then you trust the software and you allow it to run on your native machine – it wakes up, looks at your list of, of removable software and goes, ah, this now here's a thousand pieces of junk. This poor sucker is loaded into his Windows machine. Now I believe I'm talking, I'm, you know, I'm in the real Windows environment and and he can go to town. Right, right. Well, and was it Blue Pill that, uh, uh, or Red Pill where it, it would test timing? And well, uh, yes, I mean, that was it clever. Is, in fact, there's been some evolution of this. Joanna um, said that the original Blue Pill 1.0 was undetectable. Well, now she's working on 2.0 because it turned out you could detect Blue Pill. You could tell that you were right. you were in the Matrix. You are not <laughs> actually in the real world. This is the stuff I love the most. And it it really is it. it really is difficult yeah. to to completely fool something. You know, one of the things you could do is you know we talked about this then. For example, there is scattered around the internet high accuracy time references using NTP network time protocol, which systems are able to use to determine the the time outside the computer. And so there are things you could do by comparing the, the 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 passage of time inside and outside and look for differences because you know there you know there are subtle differences in the in the timing of instructions because there is some virtualization overhead. The virtualization layer causes instructions to operate differently if it's present than if it's not. Then, then, then the countervailing argument is okay. Yes, but it, anything the, that the software running in the virtual environment does to detect that is in the virtual environment. So why can't you emulate it? And and again, it's like yes, in theory you can, but it's it's you know again it's it's like it's like the the the, the removal of spyware that we talked about last week. It's a cat and mouse game, yeah. and and malware is upping the ante all the time. To make it more difficult to to root it out of the operating system, literally, you know, um, in the case of a rootkit, and 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 similarly, software trying to detect if it's been blue pilled, if it's operating in the matrix and not in the real world, is being more and more clever, and so that requires that the virtualization environment become more and more clever in order to to counteract it. So, so, so what I wanted to explain, I wanted to really drive the point home that um, I'm. I love Sandboxy. I like it much better than a, a than a, than a, a full on VM. Well, it's a lot you know, simpler. I, I, I use VMware. I've got it sitting here. I fire it up when I when I'm wanting to run multiple browsers and and jump around. I like the the feeling of you know knowing exactly what a virtual machine is. But I'm not running email in VMware, nor my browsing in VMware, because it's just, it's heavy. I, I fired up for a purpose. It takes, you know, it commits a chunk of my system's memory permanently for the operating system, the, the, you know, the copy Windows XP that I'm that I'm running in there, or di- different operating systems. That's so, you know, and in fact, it's, it's different OSs that is the big advantage with VMware, because I'm able to host them on, on this single platform. But um, I'm I'm bullish on Sandboxy. I'm 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 liking it a lot. I'm using it. It is lightweight. It does not tie up memory. Um, I mean, it's always running and always providing containment for Firefox and my email client Eudora. Uh, I mean, it's just pain free. I'm I'm 100% sold on it. But I wanted to make sure that that I hadn't oversold yeah. it. Because I've given a bunch of examples here of things that could still be bad that are going on quite happily 
you know, running in a sandbox, still not, you know, having behavior that you would want to have going on in your machine. Well, fair enough. And I think if anybody says ever, oh, I've got the silver bullet that will protect you from anything, um, that's suspect. There is, because there's so many ways, and these guys work so hard to figure out ways around that, you know, you've got to, it's constant vigilance and you've got to use a variety of tools. Yep. I, I would, you know, the, the, the cleanest thing to say about sandboxy, which is my favorite solution for, for sandboxing, as I said, over using VMware, which I use for, for hosting different OSs, that the cleanest thing, the way to put it is it prevents something from writing outside the sandbox. It right. prevents what's in the sandbox from, from writing to your system. So if, if you sort of just keep that as the rule of thumb, it's like, okay, I know, you know, that, I mean, that's a good thing. That's an important thing to prevent, but it, it's, it's not everything because there's bad things that, that malware can do just with, by, by writing only within their own contained environment. I, I want to ask you a second where, uh, where you would recommend sandboxy, where you'd recommend a virtual machine, where you might recommend steady state. Um, you know, as, as, I mean, you, as I said, there are all these different tools and some, right. some are better for other, some situations than others. But before we do that, I do want to mention there is a silver bullet uh, for your business for protecting it. It's certainly the place to start. And that's the Astaro Security Gateway. We welcome Astaro Security Gateway to our show. We've had them on uh, every show. It's going back to uh, episode, I think, 30 or 40. They've, they've been with us for two years. They're entering our third year now, and we just love them. The ASG is a bulletproof box. I mean, it actually is probably literally bulletproof, made of heavy cage steel <laughs> that, that sits in your office, and it's the interface to the outside world. Now, you're thinking, router? No, no. This is so much better than a router. Of course, it includes a top-of-the-line stateful inspection firewall, includes great intrusion detection. Uh, the, in fact, it's really the best of breed of commercial and, and uh, open-source software to provide you with kind of an all-in-one solution that, that comes as close as you're going to get to full protection. Three kinds of antivirus programs, two for email, two for email alone. Let's talk about belt and suspenders for email alone, and then a third one for the web. To re- and if they're constantly kept up to date by Astaro's uh, up-to-date program that makes sure that you always have the latest definitions, that when new exploits come out, you though, and you, you know your, your users go to that website, they're protected. By the way, you do control what your users are doing, complete control over everything, including instant messenger, peer-to-peer websites they could visit. Uh, what else? You get open uh, PGP and S-Mine encryption and decryption on the fly, transparent to the user, digital signing if you want. Uh, VPN too. This is a great way to implement VPN. If you've been kind of knocking your head against the wall trying to get open VPN running, this is so much easier. Um, it, it very secure. PP2TP or uh, uh, IPsec SSL, which makes it for the boss. That's good. You say, boss, just use your browser. Okay, I can figure that out. SSL VPN. I mean, the list goes on and on. Best way to find out about Astaro is to try it. Try it in your business right now. A free demo unit can be on its way to you. So that you'll be protected. Call a, the boss will come in after the holidays and say, "I don't know what you did, but boy, I like it." Eight seven seven the number four A S T A R O. That's the number to call one eight seven seven four two seven eight two seven six. Toll free if you're outside the U S. Visit astaro.com for the Astaro uh, support uh, site nearest you. They'll get that unit out to you. You'll try it. I think you'll be impressed by how powerful it is how straightforward it is, some of the neat features uh, that I really like. They have Astaro allows you to monitor multiple Astaro gateways all over your enterprise, all over the world, using the Astaro Command Center. Um, what else can you do? Oh, you can you can gang these up. if you, if you As you grow, I think you can use up to 10 Astaro um, uh, security gateways with their built-in kind of uh, bandwidth sharing. Uh, no additional load balancing necessary. So it can grow to a really a, quite a huge enterprise. I could go on and on. 877, the number four Astaro. Visit them online at astaro.com. In fact, if you're a non-commercial user, you can even download it for free. Astaro.com slash security now. I love these guys. They really know how to do it right. And we thank them so much for being a part of security now all this time. Happy holidays, Astaro. And thanks for being uh, such great and loyal supporters of our show. We really appreciate it. A-S-T-A-R-O.com. So, Stephen, uh, so we now have in our toolbox kind of four related things, right? We've got uh, got Sandboxy, great. 
We've got uh, uh, virtual machines like VMware. VMware, virtual PC, Parallels. A ton of them. Sun has one. I didn't realize it's free. Um, we have Steady State, which we've talked about before, which is really cool technology that lets you kind of get back to where you were on a reboot. Um, each of these is a tool that seems to overlap a little bit, but they aren't, as you said, you would use Sandboxy in most cases. Yeah. Um, steady State is, it's very heavy duty and heavy weight. Um, it's, I would say that's the right application for an untrusted environment. The real the real benefit for it is that there isn't anything that users can do to get around its its encapsulation. Okay. Um, the idea being that you know, for example, in a library where you've got you know public access terminals, you want to really lock them down. It's possible to lock down a PC without steady state. Uh, using the group policy editor, you can remove all kinds of privileges. I mean, it's freaky how customizable Windows really is. Yeah, you can, yeah. you know, turn off like right clicking and you can turn off, I mean, like all kinds of, you know, amazing little tweaks you can do to Windows if you really get in there and do that. The advantage of a steady state is that it brings you that kind of group policy editor power um, just by clicking a few checkboxes. But more importantly, Anything that someone does is being held in sort of in a file system buffer, very much like Sandboxy, where you're able to read, but any writes you, you, you create are cached so that, so that you can read them back, but they're not actually modifying the hard drive. They're modifying a sandbox. So it's like Microsoft's you know, sandboxing technology, which is bulletproof. Sandboxy isn't made for that. Sandboxy assumes... That well, because it's just not its job. It, it, it assumes that that you know you're using your machine and you're you know you like your machine. You're not trying to abuse your own machine because Sandboxy gives you the ability to to control what it's doing. So its its intention is different. Um, I would not use a system myself with set, with steady state, and I've I've set up several for other people who are really concerned about security because. I mean, it it doesn't slow it down, but the process of booting, when it boots up, it has to flush the changes out, and it takes. I mean, it just it it feels much heavier when when you're using st- steady state. So that's like the high end of the absolutely allow no one to modify machine. It's from Microsoft, and it's free, and it, it works really well. I would say next down from that is any of the VM solutions, whether it's virtual PC, VMware, or Parallels, you know, the, the main ones um, uh, over on the Windows platform. And, of course, they're available now because VMs are, are so widespread on many different platforms. Um, I can't see a reason for using one for just application containment mm-hmm. because we really have that with Sandboxy. Um, I see them as as OS containment. That would make sense, as I said, for example, if I want to have one, you know, a virtual machine running Vista or FreeBSD or Linux. Uh, that is, I want to I want to cross host operating systems. That's not something that Sandboxy can do. Not not ever intended to do. Sandboxy is an application sandbox, not an OS um, containment. And so, vir- virtual machines. I think really um, come into their own when when you need to basically start with a, a a copy of a you know a pseudo copy of an empty environment and install something a whole operating system and upwards from there. And again, another reason you don't that, that they're heavyweight is you have to have a, another licensed copy of the operating system. You can't use the same one. So you know that becomes burdensome if you're using, for example, multiple copies of Windows. You know, Microsoft wants to get license fees for all those. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, so I'm back around then to Sandboxy, really feeling that given that we understand its constraints and notice that neither VMs, full-on virtual machines, nor steady state, none of them would prevent the kind of, of non-writing malware that we talked about. That is, they, they would... As long as you flush the state of your virtual machine and you flush this, the, the state of the steady state environment, much as you flush the sandbox, 
you would you'd turn those things into being transient. You'd get rid of them when when you cleaned out that state. And so all three of these mechanisms have this notion of being able to, you know, reset the world to its prior state, which would remove anything that 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 had had crawled in. But while it had crawled in before you had cleaned it, you know, there are certainly bad things that can be done, but they can be done in in every case. So this is why I wanted to talk about sort of to generalize this notion of sandboxing, either with sandboxy or VM or even steady state, doesn't completely protect you from every possible behavior of malware. But having said that, I'm back to sandboxing because it is lightweight. It's running for me all the time. I don't have VMware running because I don't want to give it, you know, half a gig of RAM to, to run a copy of Windows XP. And with Sandboxy, you have, you know, this lightweight, low overhead, you know, very nice solution. Well, it's uh, great to get the clarification. I love you for that. You're, you, you're always impeccable in, those, uh, in that regard. You know, you don't want to overstate it. You want to be exactly accurate, and I'm, I appreciate that. And I have to say, uh, once again, as I said last time when we talked about Sandboxy, I just wish it were available on the Mac because that, unlike something like NoScript, which is a little more intrusive, that's something I would use all the time. I mean, that is a, yeah. What a brilliant I am using idea. it all the time. I, I, yeah. I, I should I should mention that I've uh, exchanged some email with Ronan. Um, there, I had a couple questions um, about whether it was filtering Windows shares access. Oh, interesting. Somebody in our news group had said, "Hey, Steve, what if something?" You know, tr- just tried to open your your yeah. your 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 C dollar shine, the 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 right. default admin share on localhost, and the, wouldn't that give it access? And good old Ronan, he's there ahead of him. This in this case, he understands that and blocks it. Interesting. Um, and uh, I also was writing to him about so about our topic for week after next, two weeks from now, we're going to talk about an interesting utility that was written four years ago by a Microsoft engineer called Drop My Rights. Oh, yeah, I know about that. I, that's another one that uh, our listeners often uh, bring up as a good choice. Right, and we're going we're gonna to discuss it in great detail in two weeks. And it was in that, in that context mm-hmm. that I said, hey, Ronan, you know, this is a cool thing. What about having that for Sandboxy? And, and he said, oh, you know, we, we, anyway, we went back and forth a couple times. Turns out that Sandboxy is already doing a lot of that. Ah. It, is, it is dropping the rights uh, for in many different aspects to, to keep programs from being able to do bad things, but it's not doing as much as drop my rights. Um, Ronan, I told him that I was going to be talking about it. He says, ah, I think I'll add that. Oh, and I said, funny. I think that'd be good. <laughs> You know, I love it's a real cat and mouse game between hackers who are smarter and smarter than they uh, than ever. I mean, these guys really uh, have an incentive now to uh, really get into your machine. So they've gotten a lot smarter and a lot more clever. Uh, and, and the good guys, people like Ronan and you who are really they you guys have to use your brains, too. And it's just a it's a fascinating intellectual exercise where, hmm, would they do this? Then how would I stop that? It's counter point, counterpoint all the way down the line. I really well, love and it. he did. He did say. Uh, in in our initial email exchange, that he had absolutely and definitely felt the effect at his end on um, us having you yeah. know told our listeners, all of our Security yeah. Now listeners, about Sandboxy and and my being you know so pleased with the way it was working for me. So you know I'm and I'm glad because it means that a lot of listeners are now using this kind of protection to to you know make their use of machines more safe. It's interesting because. Because Windows is the most attacked platform, in some ways it might be the most secure platform because there are the most defenses designed, the most patches, the most fixes, the most tools. Uh, you can use Windows ex- very securely now. Yeah. So I think that's fi- that's fascinating too. It's gotten a lot better in the last few years. Yeah. Steve Gibson, thank you so much. Next week, a question and answer session. So go right now yep. to securitynow's uh, website, grc.com slash feedback. Submit some questions. If there's something you'd like to know more about, we'd love to fill you in. Of course, when you're there, check out SpinRight. That's at grc.com. The world's Pays best. The bills at this end. That's right. World's best file and recovery maintenance uh, utility. File hard drive maintenance and recovery utility. Uh, it also uh, is uh, uh, just a, a tool that I use proactively 
just to kind of keep an eye on things all the time. And that we found that to be very, very useful to spin right our drives before we put them in, in service. Yep. Um, he's got a lot of great free utilities there, too. You've heard about Shields Up, Shoot the Messenger, Decombobulator. I'll, I'll go on and on and on. Don't forget Wismo. Love that Wismo. And that's not even a security application. Well, it is now. You add a little bit of security to it. Yeah, some Wi-Fi stuff. GRC.com. Steve, thanks so much. Uh, I guess... Are we going to do a show on Christmas Day? I guess we are. Absolutely. Uh, We're not missing any. (laughs) Steve never sleeps. Christmas Day and New Year's, Leo. (laughs) All right. Well, uh, we'll get your shopping done. We'll talk to you Christmas Day on the next Security Now. Thanks, Steve. Thanks, Leo. Security Now.